Good morning, Paul. Morning, Jeff. Hi, wow. This is a bit of a break from the norm. It is. Uh, breaking from our pattern in the... We're not really at a, at a pub, we're at a cafe, and it's, it's the morning. And, it's, it's, uh, it feels early in the morning for me. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, by the sea again. Yeah, we can hear the sea. And um, well, we're, we're, it's not a, not a pub cast, really, it's more of a cafe Ca cast. Cafe cast. Where we're uh, having uh, coffee instead of beer and cider. Maybe this is to prove to everybody that we're not complete <laughs> alcoholics. Dispel the myth. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a morning, a morning podcast, which uh, I'm forward to. I see a different, different. It is a refreshing change. Refreshing change, yeah. So, um, what's on your mind today? What have you woken up thinking um, about? Well, I had over the last week or so, I had um, a CSM course, which was which was really good. Um, but it was interesting mix of people because I had a fair share of kind of graduates really who are just fresh into the company and I don't, I don't know if you've ever trained groups like that where you literally it's a, it's, a, it's a blank canvas you've got no there's no kind of baggage no legacy no no history for, to, to unpick uh, so they haven't really fresh. they haven't got any scars or no no war wounds to talk yeah, about okay. so it, it was literally I could have told them anything it was it was, <laughs> it, was, it, was it was great to a degree um, and but there, it was mixed in with a few few people that have perhaps been doing um, or a lack of project management altogether, and that okay. was that's it created some interesting differences of opinion. Um, and one one of the um, ladies was on the course. I spent quite a bit of time with one to one about. She was struggling with the fact that she's a a very valuable commodity within the in the company. She's a very uh, valuable asset. She's matrixed across five to six different projects. Okay. She's been in the company 10, 15 years. Um, She's a bottleneck. A lot of, well, that's, 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 yeah. In, in, the, when you in a like nice that, way. In a nice way, yeah. But she's got so much knowledge in her head and so much, um, uh, so many skills across different projects that she finds it very hard to. Well, she was struggling to see how Scrum could help her, which was, which was interesting. So she's had a go at um, doing Scrum within a team with, I think, a limited degree of success. There's only maybe four, three or four of them, in, I think, in their team, They're quite a small team. And, um, but it's strange that it seems to be um, the way that things have been set up. They've created three, she told us, we've got a scrum board per project. That was the first thing she said. Oh, well, but she's on how many projects? Uh, at the time, she was on, I think, three projects okay. during that course. She's on, so they created a scrum board for uh, each project. And it, so we talked about obviously the, the the downside to that and the how that can give the wrong messages. Really, that you're working on three three things at once, and they weren't. They clearly weren't. There's, there's a lot of things in progress, but a lot not a lot being worked on. If okay. That so we talked about the, the idea of trying to simplify that and the big question really was was one around prioritization, which I think is is one that doesn't really get talked about very much, um, particularly for her in her circumstances. So the, the default is say yes to everything. 
And so this isn't necessarily a feature level. This is at the project. Oh, this is yeah. This is it. Um, the boss comes and uh, drops, sticks his head around the door and says, "Can you just do this?" Yeah. The default is yeah. Of course we can. Okay. Because there's no evidence on which to challenge to to challenge that. Okay. Yeah. So kind of this system of um, perpetual motion seems to constantly grow and grow and grow, and we end up taking on just this just swamped with work that she can't get anything done. So we talked about kind of the the multitasking, the, you know, the, th the threats of multitasking, context switching, all this type of lean stuff. And I think uh, it, the, the penny did kind of drop um, over the course of the two days. It just, it just, um, it kind of, I suppose it never really surprises me that, that I said the easiest thing to do is to say yes. Yeah. The hardest thing to do is to say no. Yeah, it's, it, it's difficult to say no, but it's, it's essential, right? It's an absolutely key part. Yeah. And by saying no to more things, you end up getting more stuff done. Yes, but that that seems it's almost like contrary to good customer service and co contrary to good um, relationships within your companies. If you are seen as a no person, mm. I don't think people want to have that, be labelled with that. Yeah, and it's tough, isn't it? But it's, it's all about transparency as well. If if people can see how busy you are. Surely they wouldn't ask as much, do they? Well, so I, I get that, and I actually, you know, I go on record. As, as we go on record quite a lot now, Jeff. Well, yeah. <laughs> actually, With these you know, podcasts. In literature, publishing, oh, right, and okay. saying, you know, focus on one thing, get that done, then move on to the next, rather yeah. than have multiple things in motion, both yeah. at the feature level, the task level, the project level, yeah, everything. Um, and the product management side of the organisation has got to be the ones that are leading that behaviour. Yes. All the way down from, you know, if, you, if you consider the chief exec to be the ultimate yeah. product owner, got to model that behaviour. Yeah. Um, yeah. And obviously, knowing knowing that something is important is, 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 is useful and it's, it's integral. Yeah. And good product owners know what's needed. Uh, and obviously, you just can't get into a situation where everything is important because then by definition, nothing is important. Yeah, so exactly right. The great product owners out there, you know, they know what can wait. Yeah. And it's not about saying no, it's about saying not yet. And if you've got some data there to say, you know, we're, we've got some predictability in our delivery now, so we've got some understanding of what we're capable of and how long things take. So based on that data and based on how important this is and how big a project it is compared to others, this is when you're likely to get it. That's a more palatable answer than no. Mm. I think, I think sometimes I challenge that in, in a product environment. You think that a product owner is dealing day to day with a software, with a, with a scrum development team. Sorry. Um, surely, at some point, they do have to say no. They have to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have to be blunt. They have to say that is not the right thing to do, and we're not, and we're not going to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. No. I there are. You know, there's yes. There's, let's think about it, there's no, there's not yet, there, there are lots of answers. Obviously you do that based on a, a certain amount of data, you don't do, we'd hope that it's not just a, an, a reaction, a, a knee-jerk reaction to... Sometimes there isn't data, you know, sometimes, go, and, and product owners, managers, leaders, development teams, they all have to, now and again, trust their instincts, Yeah. but the more data you can get, the easier it is to to have that conversation and, and have that 
decision respected, right? Yeah. yeah. It's so interesting, again, back to this lady I was teaching. She was saying, um, and we talked a lot about uh, T-shaped people yeah. and yeah. I-shaped people. Um, and if you don't, if you've not heard that before, that phrase, have a look in Jeff's book. I'm sure it's pretty sure it's in the first book, Jeff. Yep. Um, but we talked a little bit about that, and I said, well, I asked this lady, so what, what shape would you describe the people in your team? She said, well, we're pretty much I-shaped. Mm-hmm. And it's, but it's, she said, and she, we talked about where that came, and it does come from, kind of this siloed way of working comes from taking, it's constantly saying yes. You, you create the conditions whereby it feels like the most efficient way to get use out of multiple people in the team is to do one thing each. Yeah. Which brings, gives you more of a problem with an I-shaped, you know, a single point of failure within that team. Yeah. And it's how I've seen so many teams get, that have become in that, that kind of format, it's, it's untrue, that just, it's a perpetual spiral that, that you just take on more and more and more and people then end up with multiple um, projects in one, with one, in one person's hands which just grind to a halt because nothing's, nothing's ever progressing Yeah. and everyone throws their hands up in the air when something isn't done on time so it's... There's, it's, there's more pressure for, for everyone to become more specialised Yes, yes yeah. Self-feeding cycle. It is, yeah. But you've got to, the hard, I think the hardest thing to, to realise is that, or to, the hardest thing to visualise is how do I break out of that? How mm. do, I've got, how to, to form more T-shaped people in our team, I have to give up, give up more. That takes a lot of courage. Yeah. Especially, yeah. Is it just courage? Is it just... I mean, does it, does it require respect. something more than that? I don't know. It's very easy for me to stand there and explain it in a two-day course. Mm. Say we should just say no, you should do. But in a, in a corporate setting where deadlines, where your boss is asking for things, we, I think we feel like we can. We, I think we feel, sometimes I feel like this, that I can do multiple things at once. I didn't realise I'm bad at it, but I, I still do it to a degree. Yeah. I'm, do, I'm doing a little bit of self-reflection now, thinking, because there's a part of me that actually is drawn to that way of working because I'm, I hate monotony. So the, the ability to, to do something different and not do the same thing for a long period of time. Yeah, is attractive, but I also love getting stuff finished. Yeah, and there's less chance of that happening the more things I've got going on. Yeah, so it's it's a tricky one. But then I think there's there's nothing wrong with having you know, a couple of things on the go. And there's probably there's probably an optimum somewhere, isn't there? You know, if you just had one thing. Well, there's a, quite a lot of science around about around how how. Um, Productive we are with them. With I thought I thought two. Uh, there was some some some, 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 some paper I read was around. It can't be any more than two. Some, some, some guy said to me recently, it's, "It's one. You can't do anything more than one thing at a time, productively." But um, I'm terrible though. That sometimes I'll I'll be in the middle of a task and something will I'll remember something. Yeah. Like I've got to book a flight or I've got to 
um, send this invoice, whatever it, whatever it was. But um, and I'll think, no, I should do that now, else I'll forget it. Yeah. Which is a terrible behaviour. Well, well, but I'll, I'll yes, just, but it's also a good behaviour because you're very conscientious and you, you don't forget it, do you? You get it done. Yeah. And yeah, you could procrastinate. You could put it off and then forget about it, and then you never get there. So it, it's it's a double-edged sword in that yeah. way. It's good, but it's also and that that massively ties into the motivation for the task that you're actually on. You know, if you're actually enjoying what you're doing, yeah, you're less likely to get distracted. You're going to be in you're going to be in flow. You're going to be focused, and you, you, these things won't pop into your head. But if you're not enjoying it. If it is a little bit boring, a little bit tedious, it's been dragging on. Your mind wanders. Your mind wanders, mm. and you're looking for reasons, either at a conscious or unconscious level. You're looking for reasons to, to actually get out of that. Oh yeah, the washing yeah. needs doing. Yeah. Really? I mean, really? Yeah. I don't like doing the washing. But starting to actually look attractive right now because I'm quite bored. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's true. One of the things that I, I mentioned to this uh, again in this training course was was run a stopwatch. So just take, try and take, just for a day, just for, a, you know, set yourself aside one, one day, and just, just to actually time how productive your, that day is. Mm. So um, start the stopwatch and stop it when, you, you know, if something, a distraction occurs or some kind of interruption occurs from a task that you're doing, just yeah. to see how long you actually spent doing it compared to the real time compared to the ideal time, that, yeah, yeah. that kind of comparison. I can remember uh, playing some of the, when we were in BT, I did some of this for some, one of the network teams I was scrum mastering. And it was it was like two hours in, in, a, in an eight, or a seven, two point two hour day as it, as it was officially in BT. The guys were getting maybe two, two and a half hours of work, worth of work done in a typical day just because of all the other noise that was going on. Mm. And, uh, and I, again, I, I, I told that story to the guys in that, that course this week and they, they kind of say, yeah, it sounds about right. That when, you, when you think about it, I don't really get a lot, much of a, a run at any one task. And that might not be through multitasking, that might just be from distractions and mm. other stuff going on. Yeah. The phone ringing or emails or yeah. messenger or Slack channels, whatever it might be that just, there's, there's I wrote a bit about this in my book is that we're so easily distracted these days. There's so ma there's more things to distract us. Yeah. In BT, we were lucky if we can get messenger working. That, that was it. That was it. that was all we had. Yeah. Some of the uh, the tools that we had at our disposal back then were a bit um, low tech, wouldn't they? Yeah. Uh, the yeah, no, no, we won't get nostalgic about that. We're just we're sound really old. If we were. <laughs> but I think there's a lot more distractions in the office, at home, on, you know, on the internet these days. Because I sound old when I say these days. Media but, um, stacking, they call it, don't they? Media stacking. Yeah, you have, you know, you've got your iPad in front of you, your TV's on, you've got Second your Second screening, yeah. yeah. But it's, uh, it's only going to increase, surely. I wonder whether, oh, this is getting a bit deep, but I wonder whether that, you know, that is going to actually help human evolution in terms of multitasking, whether we're going to get better at multitasking because we're doing it more. Well, my chiropractor told me um, about so you get neck conditions for people who are... Yeah, yeah. Because your head, is it your head weighs I don't know how many pounds. Be, isn't it? Um, and it puts... He does a lot of work with people who've basically got neck problems from 
using their phone all the time, too much. So we're going to evolve stronger neck muscles? We probably will, I hope, oh, and large thumbs. Large thumbs. Mm. Strong thumbs. But yeah, I think this, there are, not just it's not just people distractions, it's techno technological distractions. Slack channels, Skype calls, yeah. messages, all different angles these days, emails. But no matter how much we evolve, there are only so many hours in the day. And yeah, and it's going to take thousands of years for our, if we do evolve for our brains to actually be able to cope with more. And with huge brains, and multi-process. So how, how how do people deal with that? What's the what's the solution? Discipline. Or like on, yeah, like time boxing or at least saying for the next 50, for the first 15 minutes of my day I'm purely just checking my emails and then I, I, I yeah closing things down closing things off turning off notifications I know I know someone that um, bought one of those what do you call it I don't, I'm not sure what the, what the right word is but basically a blocker that could block signals so they took it to a meeting room so you know, they turned it on and nobody could get the signal oh really um, no Wi-Fi, no 3G, no nothing like that. So, and they couldn't be distracted then. Mm. I mean, they could obviously still work offline if they really wanted to, but they could still play games. But um, the number of distractions were reduced. But, but people got really, really angry about Did that. They? Yeah. Lots Taking of away yeah. Their connectivity. Yeah. I think. I think they were more angry about the lack of impinging on their autonomy, basically having having no choice about it. But some people actually liked it. Yeah, they, they, they felt it was quite liberating yeah. in a way. Yeah. And I always joke at uh, the start of my training courses and workshops and things. Uh, if you want to tell people back at the office that I confiscated your phones off of you for two days or a day or however long. Yeah, you can use me as an excuse. So it wasn't my fault you couldn't get hold of me, it's Jeff's fault. Yeah. And I'll field those emails for you because if, if it can help you be more present. That's right. Brilliant. Uh, and some people, not many, but some people do take me up on that. Um, because they, there are people out there that are crying out for the opportunity to just shut off yeah. for a bit. Focus, be present. That was one of the nicest things about... Um, I was on holiday this summer in the Gower in South Wales and um, you just you're miles away from civilization in some parts it's you know there's there's one road really that goes around that that peninsula there's very little um, supermarkets or any of the, any of the things that we probably take for granted and uh, in some places you, you just have no no um, internet connectivity phones and we were just you were just back to the wild it was just you know, how um, but you, you notice a lot more you you take I think we take a lot of stuff for granted that we uh, we use all the all the time or that we don't use because we're so, we've got our heads buried in our phones and in our, in our laptops it was quite liberating no a lot of agile teams actually and leaders just in general that have, have actually found mindfulness a daily routine regular routine of just shutting off and just not thinking about anything in particular just taking 15 minutes or whatever 10 minutes and 
in essence, just meditating, mm. being incredibly powerful as a recharge and a reflection, and just letting them stop, reset, and go again. Yeah, building that into into your day. Yeah. Um, so I think you're right. You uh, earlier on you said I don't think it's just about courage. I think there's there's a amount of discipline there and awareness yeah. that that it's needed. But courage to give it a try. That's right. <clears throat> um, and courage. There is a, a degree of courage in shutting yourself in, in shutting yourself off to things that you know you think you need, need to distract you, like emails or phone calls or um, other other people, the people you're sitting next to. I don't think you. I'm not suggesting people go and sit in isolation. Well, I am. Are you? Well, not yeah. all day long. Well, I mean, I've had team mindfulness sessions, but at the start of a, you know, a, a retrospective or at the start of a daily scrum, just anything, just just a couple of seconds, a couple of minutes, to, to just think. Yeah. Don't, don't talk. Don't work. Just just chill. Get your get your mind in it. Um, so yeah, but equally individually, I think getting out of that environment, you know, away from your workstation, away mm. from, mm. leave your phone at your desk and just go for a five minute walk or a ten minute walk around the building or something. Mm. That, I think, yeah, I, would, I would recommend that. Mm. I'm doing that now. No, it's, it's a nice, <laughs> nice pause. Yeah. You see, that's one of the reasons why I'm here, where we are right now. Is this is by the sea? This is where this is where I go to actually get away from all the other things that I need to be thinking about, and need to be doing, and shutting off. Uh, do, you, do you feel that that does make a difference? You, 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 to my state of mind, but also my productivity. Why is that? Is it, is it just the environment? Is it the is it the sound? Is it the the fact that you know you're on your own? Is it a different setting? I think it's all of those things. But uh, it's, it's uh, I think part of it is, is ritual that you know, I, I know, I have decided, I have told myself at some level that when I'm here, I am calm, I am able to think easier and I'm able to get more done. Mm. There is less distractions. You know, there's less, if, I, if I'm working from home, for example, you know, I, I'll know that this needs to be done or that needs to be done. I've got my own little backlog of jobs that eventually need to be done <coughs> and I've got the computer on. There's, you know, there's no... There's no actual computer here. I have my devices, but I can turn them off. Yeah. But it, yeah, there's a little bit of script. But I going. But, but yeah, you are, you are also investing in that time, so that it's not a trivia. If it was five minutes down the road, yeah, it might be different. But it, it's uh, how long's the drive for you mm. to get here? About two hours. Yeah. So you're thinking, I've got to get used out of this time that yeah. I, I'm I'm going down there for a, a day or a couple of days, whatever it might be, and I'm, I'm taking time away from my family or from home whatever from my job mm -hmm. to cat so you you're already probably in that mode where you're thinking I will get I will be more productive I have to be more productive. well so stop me there because there's actually I haven't thought about this before but I don't actually say to myself I have to be productive and if I did I think I would put myself under too much pressure and I wouldn't be I actually without realising this until I'm just reflecting on it now that for me there's an inevitability it's almost like it will happen I know it's a truth it's a fact it's inevitable it's a given that when I come here I will be productive I mean I've got data to prove it mm. um, and just by assuming that it's going to happen actually probably makes it more likely to happen mm. 
there's that mindset and I think that uh, I'm trying to think back now because sort of four years ago when I started doing this when I wanted to to write this is when you're writing the first book wasn't it? You, yeah you started doing I did a lot of writing down here yeah um, and I, I, I'm when I'm even I'm going on holiday you know it's, it's in the summer with, with the family and I, I, I switch my phone off and I leave it in, in the hotel safe uh, partly because it's you know it's a work phone and people can still get hold of me but that, that feeling is such a good feeling mm. but when I first did it there was that almost unspoken fear of well actually what what if I miss a call what if I miss an email and you know I lose a piece of work or someone's waiting for me to get back to them or something like that but it was an unrealised fear it didn't come to pass you know. nothing bad happened by yeah. leaving my phone in a safe for two weeks yeah uh, and once you can prove that to yourself it becomes easier to do it again just like now, if I come down here for two days to write, you know, I don't get, don't answer my emails. Will anything bad happen? No. Well, evidence suggests no. Mm. It doesn't have to be as extreme as that. I mean, you were talking about time boxing, right? There's no reason why I couldn't set myself two hours, an hour, half an hour. Mm. Right, stop. Check my emails. Right, now I'm back on it. Mm. Half an hour, half an hour, half an hour, two hours to whatever time box works. Interesting you say about that kind of that rolled, uh, there's a lot of um, in the moment Roald Dahl isn't it in, is in the news at the moment is it, is it okay, his yeah. anniversary okay. of his well BFG came out as well didn't it yeah my daughter's having a Roald Dahl day at school and uh, he was a, an author that I think um, there's a connection with with my wife and Roald Dahl there's a, there's a there's a family connection there somewhere that I think she's got several books signed by him anyway we, I digress but he used to go here, he'd have a room, I think it was a room in his house or in the garden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can go visit it. Yeah, <coughs> where he would write. Mm. But a lot of authors have that kind of a sense of escape where they feel that's where their, their work is created. Mm. It's, a, it's a creative element. Um. Rituals are powerful. And it might not sound like a ritual. Some people, the term ritual would be you know, something you repeti repetitively do. Um, perhaps even at a subconscious level. But actually the power of ritual can be quite important. You know, actually saying to yourself, right, this is, this is the process that I go through to do this. Yeah. And creating that, the metaphorical shed in the garden where you go and write. You know, how can you know, great scrum masters help teams create that for themselves? Yeah, even if it's not, if it's, like I said, it's metaphorical, it's not actually physical. Could be something as simple as, right, we're going to put on our, our creative hats right now. Yeah. Um, and I know a lot of scrum masters will make use of things like that. There's not many opportunities um, to slow down. It's the, it's, the, it's the slowing of the mind, slowing of the brain, isn't it? Is where they they say we do a lot of our creative thought. You've got to give um, it space, right? Yeah, space. that kind of sage-like wisdom comes from when your mind is at, when you're in long long car journeys or just before you go to sleep or that that type of. Right. Generally, any time where it's no, difficult to find a pen and paper. Yes. It's when you get your greatest ideas. Yeah. You're on the toilet, you're in the shower, you're in the bath, or you're in bed, or something like that. Yeah, but you're relaxed. You're yeah, you switch off. Yeah. yeah. Brains yeah. function at different levels. You like to fish, don't you? I do. Just looking at the pier out there, there's nobody out there fishing at the moment. I do like that. I find that quite therapeutic, yeah. fishing. People would say it's very boring. But I, I kind of like the boredom of that. Me and my dad spent a lot of time, a lot of many hours, standing in relative silence, mm. father and son, holding our fishing rods. Um, but yeah, it's I find 
if, if it's the environment, the as long as it's not pouring rain, don't get me wrong. But um, you're a fair weather fisherman, are you? Well, yeah. But I mean, me and my dad would probably spend maybe four hours, and some people would say wasting time because we didn't catch anything. We'd, we'd spend mm. four hours of our day standing, standing up, um, and come away with nothing, but still enjoy that every minute of it. So I know we've talked before about you know what is success, what you know is a happy team more productive or more successful than a productive. These these kinds of things. What what do we measure? And yeah. So it's not necessarily the catching of the fish, right? The the the, the outcome of that is perhaps realization. It's perhaps just quality time. Perhaps it's space for creative thoughts. Yeah. But the, so as someone who isn't really a, it's not that I don't like fishing. It's just I haven't really done it much. My, 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 I'm quite an impatient person, so maybe that would be a, a good thing for me. But the idea of throwing something into the water and you can't see <laughs> whether there's a fish on the other end of it, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, is, is there an incremental way of fishing? You do get feed. Well, you do get feedback. So you're. Some people make it try and make it more scientific. I'm talking about sea, sea fishing now. I, I only really have experience of sea fishing rather than river fishing or lake fishing, but. Um, obviously, you can't predict what's going to happen, what's happening on the the seabed. But you do you do pick up feedback through your tackle, your equipment, what you hold, you know, the rod that you've got in your hand. Um, and you adjust. So if you feel um, that you're getting a bite, mm. but we're not taking the fish. Is is your tackle right? Okay. Is it the right size hook? Are you using the right? Is, if nothing's happening at all, are you using the right bait? Mm. So you're trying to adjust. Is it trial and error? Or is, is it experience tells you that this this time of day? This a lot this of people would say it's luck. You see, a lot of people. I mean, when I was, I, I caught my first fish when I was about 12 years old, and I did. There was no skill involved in that. I literally, literally just. Through through my uh, through the bait in and, and, a, and a fairly large fish jumped onto the hook and it was the largest fish that anyone had caught on the pier that day and with and a, a boy of twelve did it so I think there is a, there's a degree of fortune some people would profess that there's um, a skill to it and, and you can you can maximise your chances of success yeah for the conditions or for the, the species whatever you're looking for yeah. for the bait or the tackle the equipment but um, well, as, as a complete novice this might, this might be a really amateurish and naughty thing to, to say but and from my world you know, presumably different fish have different size mouths and yes. depending on the size and of the and they different mouth. tastes okay yeah so, they might so different, different fish things. like different things eat so yeah difference if you have a really big hook then a small fish will be able to exactly yeah, yeah I guess yeah. yeah but then so there must be a combination of experience. So you do adjust, yeah, you have a question of having the right uh, tackle for the right conditions. And then visible indicators. So uh, I guess, you know, the, if you're holding the rod and you feel it pull, yeah. then that's a great indicator, but maybe yeah. there are, <coughs> maybe the things have evolved. I, well, you uh, can use, you like, get if you feel float fishing, you could use, you have a visible indicator on top of the surface of the water yeah. to see whether there's a, bit, a, a fish uh, biting. So I'd want I'd want a camera. Well, that's I'm I'm sure eventually we will get to that point where your fishing will become visual. Yeah. You can see 
Well, there's already obviously you go out boat fishing. There's there's fish finders which are kind of scanning this mm. the seabed. They they could get signals as to where the fish are, to it, at least you know in the right areas. But um, you're relatively bl fishing blind here on the on the seafront or on a pier. But um, I'm sure it will get to that point where you can literally put a camera down with that with your bait to, and then you strike when you see a fish on your line. It's a cost, I suppose, isn't it? Because that line snaps, you lost the camera, I guess. But then, you know, cameras these days, equip that type of, it's only going to get cheaper, surely. Yeah. You think about what you can get on a, the new iPhone, which is about to come out, but... Um, I'm not sure whether... I've, I've taken this down a rabbit hole there. What's your conversation? <laughs> Interesting, I'm yeah, enjoying it. Well, thank you very much. I'll chink, I've got a glass of water here, which mm. is, I'll, I'll chink with you. Cheers, mate. Cheers, mate. I'll see you again soon. Till next time.